As older adults with vision loss, we understand your fears, your frustrations, and feelings of isolation. The Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss is here to help you as you pursue the independent lifestyle you deserve. For more information, visit www.aavl-blind-seniors.org or call 916-995-3967 for more information. AAVL, a supporter of the ACB Media Network. The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. And good morning or afternoon, wherever you are in ACB Media Land. This is Christy Crespin coming to you from Highland, California. So it is morning. And today is my grandson's birthday. Woohoo! And Sheila Young's birthday. Uh, it is January 25th. And uh, we are discussing the book. The uh, un- the Unseen Minority by Francis F R A N C E S A Kessler K O E S T L E R available on Bookshare in the 2004 copyright edition and on Bard through NLS on the 1976 edition. Uh, by the American Foundation for the Blind. And today we have um, Trish, who is our host. Thank you, Trish. And Larry is our streamer. And it's Lepofsky, right, Trish? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, and then and Larry Gassman. So, uh, Trish, if you could give us the the... Spiel. Okay. <laughs> I greatly <laughs> Instructions. appreciate it. I got That's you. right. Okay. All right. So to raise your hand, on the PC, it's Alt-Y. On the Mac, it's Option-Y. If you are on a smartphone, it's the uh, lower right corner. Double tap on the More button and swipe until you see the raised hand button. And if you are on a, a standard keypad phone, it is star nine. To mute and unmute, if you are on the PC, it's Alt-A. If you are on the Mac, it's Command-Shift-A. If you, if you are on the cell phone, it is the lower left corner. And if you are on a standard keypad, it is star six. All right. Thank you very much. So. Um, we have read this week three chapters, um, sort of different yet alike. Uh, and the three chapters that we read are chapter 20, which is the watershed years, chapter 21, little things that make a big difference, and chapter 22, one world. So, um, as we usually do, I would like for us to discuss any thoughts, ideas, opinions, um, things that came up, up to these chapters. So, anything 
up to chapter 20. Um, I hope we will get some people uh, talking. Um, anybody have anything you want to contribute yet? Um, Larry has his hand raised. Go ahead, Larry. It Larry? is. It's interesting because I, I I go back to a couple of chapters when we were talking about guide dogs, and I knew a lot about guide dog, especially for someone who never had one. But my wife Melinda had three, and she had them all from uh, guide dogs for the blind here in San Rafael, which is in California. Uh, the th one of the things I liked about this book was I didn't know a lot about seeing eye except for a couple of things that they were involved they were long enough they were around long enough to be involved uh in a couple of radio shows where they were where they were uh they were looked at like in 36 uh cavalcade of america did uh, like two or three shows on them because it was a brand new thing to have guide dogs available to blind people and so i learned a little bit from them but i didn't know a lot about the history of guide dogs generally in terms of all schools until I read this book. And I thought, I just thought it was fascinating that somebody took the time to go through and look at most of the schools, not all of them, because there were a ton of them early on that eventually um, they all petered out for the most part and they weren't around. But the major schools they talked about quite a bit and the differences and the similarities. And I just thought that was pretty cool. Especially for somebody who didn't know a lot about guide dogs, you learned very quickly by reading this book. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And who knew that they were already using guide dogs in Europe? I didn't you know? know that. Yeah. Uh, I think in this Cavalcade of America program, they talked about the fact that it had come from Europe and then moved to you know New Jersey, etc. But they were pretty general about it because the basic people who were listening weren't blind. They were generally cited, and so it, it didn't matter. And they were right. trying to pinpoint on a couple of people. So, fascinating. Thank you. Okay, we have another hand raised. Mushi, go ahead. Well, it kind of ties in about the Europe thing. I was surprised how things began in Germany and England. And uh, the one comment I have about all of this is that, thank goodness for MIT. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they develop so much, and then so much of it, of these improvements and you know facility just for the blind came about because the inventors had blind relatives. I thought that was um, interesting, you know. That, and I also was impressed that Franklin Roosevelt uh, actually was such a supporter for the handicapped. But then you have to think he was handicapped himself. Right. Didn't okay. want people to really know it, but yeah. Right. Right. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Not at this time. Um, so, you know, as this book progresses, it's, it's kind of hard sometimes to follow because, um, things are talked about and then it kind of jumps back from from uh, dates um to you know like later dates and then earlier dates and so sometimes it's a little bit hard to follow but uh you see yes blind people 
have been the catalyst for many um, people. I know that um, one of my friends in middle school that I, you know, we, we didn't really keep up and it's too bad. Um, she became an orientation and mobility specialist. Um, and that was through her, through me as an influence in school in seventh and eighth grade. And, um, and she was also an instructor at, uh, at Cal State uh, LA. So, um, yeah, people who've had uh, brothers or sisters or children or stepchildren or whatever, they, um, they have been the catalyst for many uh, things to take place or, or people's interest in, in uh, people who are blind. Anybody else? Um, yes, let's see. We have Lenny dot Oster. L Livy. Livy, okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Huh? Morning, Livy. Uh oh, you don't have you are muted, Libby. Okay, um, you're still muted, Libby. You may have to go out and go back in, Libby, and I'll call on you when you come back in. And then don't forget to press the got it button when you return. Yeah, that may be the problem. Yeah. We got to get the got it button, guys, before we can talk. And she's still here. She's still muted. Let's see. I'll ask her to unmute here, see if that helps her. She's still muted, Christy. Okay. Uh, we we do have another hand okay. in the meantime. Would you like to take it? Yes. Okay. Musi, go ahead. Okay, it's me again. Uh -huh. <laughs> still, uh, still about the how so many things uh, were start were investigated first in other countries, and then uh, American ingenuity kind of took over. But I was surprised that the deafblind uh, teletype didn't come about till you know, like the mid '70s. Somehow, I thought all of this happened right after the World War II, and it took so much time to develop. Uh, even the magnifiers, you know, and uh, it, it's just very interesting. I always wondered how they, how a machine could read a letter and it read by the formation of the letter. Uh, I just, I just found that all very enlightening and I, mm -hmm. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad this, I'm glad I'm reading this book. Thank you. Oh, good. I'm so glad you're reading it too. I'm glad I'm reading the book. Um, and it's even getting more interesting when you guys read the two chapters for next week on on the children. Um, you will really, I think, find things pretty interesting as well. Um, <laughs> good. Okay, Livy. Um, one thing I noticed um, in the chapters were 
the number of, and I'm assuming they were cited, cited uh, mostly men. Uh, there were some women that started to spearhead some of this stuff for us. And in a way, it's almost contradictory in a way, I would think, because, you know, their world was totally different than our world. But yet there were those individuals that were willing to step up and find a way to try to help us, you know, in whatever endeavor that they might have. And I had a, I had a thought when I heard a George Kessler's name, I thought, okay, is he, is this gal that wrote this book or guy, whoever it is. Um, it's a, it's a woman, Francis. Yeah, okay. Was she related to him? <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, yeah. I don't, okay. It's, but anyway, I just thought that was interesting and it was encouraging. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we're not quite there yet, but yeah. Um, the other thing that, that I'm thinking about is a lot of these people were suddenly blinded or blinded into accidents and, um, you know, they went through school just like anyone else. And when you read the next chapter, uh, chapter 23, um, that will even be more surprising based on the information about the schools in, in that chapter. But um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, we talk about, like I said, things jump back and forth. We talk about the 70s, and then it goes back to talking to things about things like in the, in the 30s and the 40s um, and the 50s. And, and in Chapter 20, there's a lot of name dropping. <laughs> okay, we do have another hand raised, area code 682-597. Go ahead, please. Yes, this is Calandra. Hi, Calandra. Thank you for joining Hi. us. Thank you for having me. I was, this is far from the book, but I heard somebody talk about Germany. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but there's an author by the name of Jean Little, who, um, She's probably dead by now, but she written books about her life. How uh -huh. she described herself as a Canadian, but yet she um, describes herself as having, you know, bad sight, and she eventually goes blind. Uh -huh. She describes herself as a little girl going through life from place to place. One of those places she lived at was Germany. And uh -huh. there, her books are on Bard if you are interested in learning more about her. How do you spell her first name, Calandra? Actually, her name is Flora Jean Little. Flora, F-L-O-R-A-G-A. Yeah, Flora Jean Little. But okay. she's called Jean. Okay. Jean, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. That's very interesting. Okay, anyone else? 
no more hands at this time. So who has read um, up through chapter 22? Has anyone read up through chapter 20? If you have, just raise your hand just so I can see. Um, and we won't call on you. I just want you to see. No hands. Nobody's read? What am I going to do, you guys? <laughs> okay, well. I have, I have Christy. Okay. I, I so, did. I, I read them all. Okay. So, I read them all yesterday and I actually went further, but I, I went back yeah. and reread because I felt like I'd missed some stuff. Yeah. I read chapter 20 and 21 twice. What I actually did was I read them on the Bard book and then I went back and read them on the Bookshare because we had talked last week about wondering if there were any changes, but in actuality, the book is the same. Um, and then I read further uh, to see what the difference was. And in the Bookshare version, um, it, it gives the bibliography and the timeline, which the timeline is quite interesting. And I'm trying to figure out how I want to handle it. Um, it breaks it up, um, they break it up into several different uh, categories. Um, but there are 27 chapters in this book, and what I'd like to do is discuss 2021 and 22 today. Um, next week, we'll do 24 and 25, and then the week after that, we'll do 26 and 27. Um, and then the week after that, we'll maybe talk about the timeline and, and see if I can get, um, uh, I'm going to see if I can get. Um, some people who've been involved with the American Foundation for the Blind to see if they can talk about um, this book and then what uh, what they've done and what they plan to do if they plan to to do any kind of writing um, regarding you know kind of what's the what's gone on since the 1970s. Um, because my goodness, that's this is this book is talking about history that happened 50 years ago. And it, you know, when we were growing up, I know I graduated from high school in 1971, and mm -hmm. I feel like I'm living in this wow, I remember mm -hmm. certain mm -hmm. things, and I remember certain um tools that that I received and some of them I thought what the heck is this the other ones I thought how cool but um some of these things were so archaic um considering what we have now yet those archaic tools um led up to the things that we have now and and back in the in the early 70s and 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 back then even earlier we thought they were really cool um does anybody have the tape measure that 
um, the cloth tape measure that was a series of staples uh, for the inches and a cross staple um, for the feet. Did anybody ever receive that? I did, and I just had to throw it away because I, I think after over 50 years, it got worn out. Um, I received uh, this thing that was a hem gauge. I, I'm not one for sewing, so I never used it. I didn't understand how to use it. Never understood it. Um, I received a little notebook with a six-line uh, six slate that fit in the pocket of the notebook. And unfortunately, there was no place for the stylus, but I think it, you know, if it had a hole in it, they, it had like a, the string for the bookmark and you could have put the stylus, um, you could have threaded it through if it would have had a hole in it, but they didn't do that. So there was really no way to connect it. Um, or the stylus that had the eraser on one side and the point of the stylus on the other, um, the VersaBraille machine. And um, did anyone use the Opticon? I, I got to use it for a minute. Briefly. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of a demo. Yeah. But I know, I know people who, who still use it. We, we do have two hands raised. Beth, go ahead. Morning, Beth. Yeah, I, I used the Opticon. I liked it. I wish I could get another one. I'm not too fond of touch stuff because you can't really feel you where the stuff is, you know, and you have to depend on your voiceover, your talk back and all that. I'm not, I'll get a phone like that, but, you know, um, that's about the only thing about Okay. Oh, sorry about that. I had company. Anyway, um, you know, like a smart TV and all that, that doesn't really interest me that much because uh, you can't tell where anything is. Well, it's, it's all in the training. It's just like when we were using the Opticon. It's like, how is that going to work? Or just think of the, the uh, first what was her name, Mary from England, who um, read a word a minute with the, um, the, the device that used um, notes uh, um, to determine what the letter was. Um, I guess she got up to 50 words a minute. How how fast did you read with the Opticon, Beth? Uh, about 45, 50, around there. Okay. It, was, it was pretty good. I liked it. And uh -huh. I liked it because you could tell the formation of the letter. I'm not a, I'm not a visual person at all. I, I'm not. Okay. That world is Chinese to me. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, 
Okay. You were talking about archaic stuff. Uh, yeah. I still wish I could find the color tags and the stuff like that and the uh, the little dynamo tape uh, label makers and stuff like that. I think you still can find some of that stuff. Yeah, um, I think you still can. Yeah. I just found I just found the color tags again. I had gotten rid of them and I bought them. But oh, I've got problem, some I've never used. I know. My problem is um, I I need someone because I am certainly not the sewer. I need someone to sew them on on my clothing, and I've used those match ones that you know are the uh, the color tags that have the safety pin that mm-hmm. that's what I've got. Uh, that doesn't work for me um, because I can't remember. <laughs> like I have the one that's two dots, and I I thought it was black, and it's blue. So I wore navy blue pants when I thought I was wearing black. So that doesn't work for me. Um, but yeah, you can still find some of that stuff. Um, you might check. Um, I, I would. I, I would ask. I still like the. I still like the abacus. I love the abacus. I even pray my rosary uh, when uh, at school. <laughs> I learned how to pray my because I I didn't really have a rosary at school, so I learned how to do that on the abacus. <laughs> how interesting. Well, you know, there is a class, an ACB class, the abacus class. Uh-huh. There is one. Yep. So um, I don't know if I kept my abacus or I gave it away, but I um, used to have a, 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 a file, little file container of a metal file box of things that I would bring to um, show people show the kids in school or show people. Um, and we would, you know, get like the old Braille watches that weren't working anymore or different things like that. Um, yeah. Thank you. Beth. Now, does anyone, does anyone remember like the Taylor slate or the Cuba rhythm? We, we do have three hands just so you yeah. know, Christy. Um, the Taylor slate was, that the plastic slate or that it's no it was the the little thing to do math with and you stick little stuff inside of it and you it's almost like the cuba rhythm that you you put little things inside of it to uh to differentiate different dots or you turn them different ways they were different numbers and then they had a i don't know different things on the other side of them no, I don't know. Okay, we're going to move on. Cube. We're okay. going to move on. Thank you, Beth. Um, yeah. Okay, Nellie, go ahead. Nellie? Good morning. You need to unmute, Nellie. Did you get the got it button? Okay, you, here we go. Good, yeah, okay. Yay. Um, Good morning. Um, I um, am responding to the question about the Opticon. Uh-huh. And um, I um, did have Opticon training, and I did use the Opticon. And um, I, I wasn't really fast at it, but I could read with it. Uh-huh. And um, I, um, I really liked it. And uh, so at that point... 
that was, um, you know, a good way to be able to access uh, print material that wasn't available in any other format. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised that we don't have something similar um, because for people who are really tactile people, um, um, I, I think something like that is very helpful, especially for little things like you don't necessarily want to put it under a scanner or whatever. And I know that, you know, we can use some of the, like the voice stream or the KNFB reader or different things like that. But sometimes it's just nice to kind of, like Beth was saying, to get a feel of where that print is on the, the paper. Yeah, on the card. When mail came in, <clears throat> yeah, you could quickly check, um, you know, where it was from. You know, it doesn't mean you have to read volumes with it, but it was just, uh, um, I for me, I think it was pretty easy to do. Yeah, I wish that they would come up with something today that that worked similar to the Opticon. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Okay, next we have Alan. Go ahead, Alan. Alan. Morning, Alan. Good morning. How are you guys? Uh, Good. Good. I'd like to uh, say that there's so many things, you know, for the blind these days uh, and more to come, you know, with this unseen minority. No one ever thinks that we are the unseen minority. I just thought I was just me. I just happened to have no, uh, a lot of, no sight. We don't realize how we're not alone um, because we don't know people. Um, you know, when's the first time you, how old were you when you met your first blind person? That would be an interesting question for all I of us. I was six years old when I went to the California School for the Blind. Most and of is my it, family, all my family were sighted except for Walter Knight. Right. And is that the first time you ever met someone who was yes. like you? It was like me. Uh, and I was in kindergarten then, you know. Uh huh. So I didn't have much of way of blind individuals then, you know. But I've had a few uh, teachers that would come out to our house that gave us, you know, uh, <clears throat> I mean, confidence that we can do things. Before our family just couldn't think we could do anything for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Had to have someone always around us to do for us. Mm -hmm. But this teacher. My brother and I, uh, Walter, uh, got really attached to her because um, she made us feel that we can slide down the slide. We can, you know, do those kind of things. And how old were you when you got your first teacher? I was about, probably about three. Oh, hold on. I was about three years old, you know, two, three years old, maybe perhaps uh, getting close to starting school. Okay. And when all this came about, but my mother was at that time 16, 17 years old and had my brother and I did not know, you know, it was another barrier, you know, that she had to overcome with two blind children, you know, that were premature. So your mom. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Alan. You're welcome. Hey, you guys. Next, next oh. we have Livy. Go ahead. Hey, Livy. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Okie doke. Um, I never had the Opticon, but I did have my church gave me uh, no. This is way back, guys. An Apollo CCTV. Oh, yeah. 
with the, you know, the tray thing. And, uh -huh. and of course, at first, I thought that was the biggest thing since popcorn. And not, not too long after that, another group, they gave me a Braille Bible, which, you know, that really helped me in trying to read my Braille because I was still very slow at it. I'm a lot better than I am, I mean, now than I was back then. Uh -huh. And I used that up, that Apollo in college and stuff. But after a while, I just got bored with it because it was just so stinking slow. slow. Yeah. And I just said, hang it. And I ended up selling it to somebody years ago. But um, I wish that they had the old timey 3M heavy Dymo labeler because my son detached the 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 ring from my plastic one and i never got it fixed and oh. i i tried using it and i just uh, uh could not do it and i'd really liked it i know it was heavy and all but it did a lot better than i thought than the plastic one yeah i don't like the plastic one because it doesn't the groove you can't really tell exactly where you are and you and i make yeah. a lot of mistakes yeah yeah and, uh, you know, but I did get, I remember in 75, they sent me to the, the Julie Stein Center. Um, I got a uh, monocular. And I used that thing for bowling, mainly. <laughs> to try okay. to find the pins and, mm -hmm. and do it that way. And I loved it. Um, I didn't use, and of course, you know, I'd use it at church for certain things like, watching folks get baptized or whatever, what have you and stuff. But, uh, you know, I loved that monocular uh -huh. and um, I still have one. I don't use it as much as I used to, but I've got one still hiding somewhere. I don't know where, but probably in the drawer with everything else, old uh cassette tape recorders and such. <laughs> did anyone, uh, thank you. Did anyone ever have the, the bank's little mm -hmm. pocket brailler? Nope. I I had a I don't know which one I had, but and when I was in elementary school, I had it was paper tape, and it would it was just a little tiny pocket brailler that had the the Perkins keyboard, and it uh, every time you wrote it it wrote on paper tape, um, and. Uh, that was a, a pretty interesting. I don't know if I had it on loan um, or if I just stopped mm. using it. But that that was kind of like I learned how to use the slate and silas in uh, fifth grade. So it must have been about the same time that I had that little pocket brailler. How old were you when you met your first blind person, Livy? I was just Livy. out of the just out of the womb. It was John. <laughs> Smarty. I know we have two double twins on this. Call. That's true. That gallon. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me now? Yep. Okay. Yes. Um I believe I was about five because when I started school at Beardsley, uh, Stan Cox and Rick Lewis and uh, uh, Martha Horn and some others 
they were the because in those days when we started school i was in with the the totals right and i was there with them until third grade and they took all us partials moved us to a city school gave us an itinerant and i wish to god they never had because mm-hmm. that, those years were he double toothpick and uh, you know it was it was hard and um but yeah i i you know and i can remember stan telling talking about riding his bicycle up and down the street uh, sidewalk you know in front of his house and i'm thinking <laughs> how the heck could he do that but he used to make this clicking noise and he followed the echo ah, uh-huh. so that's how he did it you All know right and and stuff like that so um yeah that was that was the first time that I can remember. Anyone else? Anyone else went away? Okay. Anyone else went away in on on how old you were when you met your first blind person, not including a family member? I mean, you could talk about the family member, but how old were you when you first met your first blind person? And um, Nellie? I was uh, I was fourteen. Um, my um, my teacher, my resource teacher, had um, sent um, re- made a referral to the uh, uh, New York Association for the Blind, the, the Lighthouse, and um, I I didn't really want to go, you know, because you know I had special vision, but I finally uh-huh. agreed to go to the recreation <coughs> program. And uh-huh. um, they had uh, um, teen recreation activities all day Saturday, and and so I went with uh, you know my my parents and and um, one of my um, little boyfriends from the neighborhood who was a sighted kid went with me, and, uh-huh. and um, so uh, that was when I met my first blind person. I. I you know, I had never met uh, any totally blind people before, just um, high partially sighted uh, kids that could see better than I could uh, that were in my, you know, sight conservation class. Um, so, you know, it was a, a, a different world and it was quite an awakening. And I really, really um, uh, was so amazed, you know, at the kind of activities that they had you know, they had roller skating and they had bowling and uh, they had modern dance and all these things that, you know, that I had, you know, never done and and totally blind people were doing them. And I thought, wow, you know, this is great. And my friend, um, you know, who was with me, he asked the the. Um, you know the the intake person. He says, "Oh, can I come?" And they said, no, "Sorry, you can't come." You know, he yeah. he wanted to do them too. You know, yeah, because it's fun stuff. Wow, we, that's well. We were from a you know South Bronx, very right depressed neighborhood that you know we didn't have access to a lot of that fun stuff. You know, whether you're right or blind. And so, yeah, that that really opened up my world. Thank you. Okay, just so you know, we have almost 20 minutes left, and uh-huh. uh, we're going to go with iPhone Mark. Go ahead. Hi, uh, I'm from St. Louis, and when I was five years old, I went to the Illinois School for the Blind, and 
That was my first ever experience with blind people. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Alandra, go ahead. Did you say Calandra? Yeah. Yes, ma'am, I did. Oh, that's what I thought you said. Um, <laughs> I was, I've met numerous blind people in my life, but the first one I do remember, I was nine, and I went to the school for the blind in the fall, and um, of course, there were blind teachers and sighted ones and stuff like that, but the one that I remember is a little kid. Now, she really wasn't blind, but she was close to being blind. Her name was Amber, and uh, she eventually became my friend for a very, very long time. Uh -huh. We're still friends today. We lived in a dark called Middle Earth. And I remember when she came to meet me, she was two years younger than me, and she used to beg and want to come to my room. She said, can I come in? I said something like, no. And she said, yes. But then we, then we ended up cooking it off despite everything. And, uh, of course, we did some pretty awesome when we were kids. <laughs> we, um, I don't have time to go into them right now because yeah. you're short of time and you got right. other hands raised. So I might tell you later, but that was one of my experiences. Well, that's awesome that you met someone who's still a friend. That's awesome. Thank you for yeah. sharing that, Calandra. Okay, next we have Deanna. Go ahead and unmute. Hello, Deanna. Um, hi. Um, well, I was diagnosed at four months, but I could see well enough to learn to read when I was three. My grandfather taught me. Mm -hmm. But by the time I was six and should have been entering school, I was involved in a series of operations. So my parents held me out of school until I was eight. And um, we were living in San Antonio, Texas. So there was a, an elementary school with a resource room. And the younger kids stayed in the resource room until they reached a certain level. Um, and then they could transition into going to the other classes. So I was at that point still legally blind. But. Um, halfway through that year, I lost my remaining vision after a failed surgery. So um, I guess I would have to say eight. eight. Okay. Wow. Very interesting. Thank you. Okay. Beth, go ahead and unmute. You're still muted, Beth. Well, while she's unmuting, I was um, a, probably about five or six. I met uh, a, a lady named Mrs. Valencia. I don't remember much about her, just that I met her. 
but I also went to the Foundation for the Junior Blind, um, and I met kids there, and uh, I ended up going to school with some of those kids, um, so that was pretty interesting. Um, Jim Fettgather and Ron Govan and Patricia Bird and uh, gosh, I'm, um, Candy Carly. And so there were different kids that I knew. Um, and then I had a blind um, catechism teacher when I was seven um, and his wife. So I had never met a blind couple. And, and this is very telling because in the next two chapters, and actually chapter 24, we're going to read some real, oh, chapter 23 and 24, we're going to read some real interesting things about um, blind people and social relationships. Oh, Beth, are you star six? Oh, yes, I am. Oh, I'm go. sorry, I didn't hear. I didn't hear you call my name. There was a truck passing by and stuff. Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. um, when I met my first blind person, I was like five years old and I was in the, in the UK and uh, they sent me to kindergarten. And then this, this little girl told me that her mother was partially sighted and, and she could teach me how to read. Uh-huh. Wow. And uh, not only did she teach me Braille, but uh, she was able to get it so that I could learn cane travel. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I used it mostly around the house and, and around the school, but um, but I enjoyed having that cane travel and, and, uh, and things like that. And as I got older, I knew that when I was 18, I was going to be Get, leave home and be independent because I didn't <laughs> that's, by then we had come back to, from the states you know I mean to the right. states right yes thank you so, thank you does anyone remember or has anyone ever used um, the teletouch In chapter 22, we learn about some of the equipment for um, uh, people who are deaf and blind. And um, they mentioned the teletouch. And I remember going to convention in 1976 in Chicago um, with the NFB at that time. And I met Rod McDonald. And uh, I had such a great time. No, it was 74. I had such a great time talking with him um, and translating to him what was going on at the convention uh, through the teletouch. It was pretty awesome. And he thanked me and, um, and uh, my, my sister-in-law to be at that time. We got to go to uh, out to dinner to the Playboy Club, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. But it, I was just amazed at using the teletouch. Has anybody ever used that besides me? So Beth has her hand raised again. Go ahead, Beth, and unmute, please. 
Yes, I, well, when I went to Little Rock, there was three deaf-blind students there, and one of them was the iParcel. I don't think that he used the teletouch, but the other two did. Ah. And I, I'm like you. I was very fascinated by it. Um, mm -hmm. One of the boys had their own teletouch machine, and, uh, yeah, it was really cool because you could communicate with them, and they, they in turn could communicate with you. Yeah, and they were about $5,000 way back then. So uh -huh. if, you, if, if you think about that, basically a Braille writer was like about, well, when I my, got my first Braille writer in 1963, I was 10 years old, and my grandmother and, and my parents split the cost of it, and it was $80. Um, so, um, you know probably was about 125 or 200 dollars in 1974 but the teletouch was like five thousand dollars so that was just amazing um did anyone um find anything if you read uh chapter 20 21 and 22 what was uh your take on those chapters calandra does have her hand raised go ahead calandra the book yet but to answer your question about the teletouch i don't even know such things were such things were interesting until i got a little older um i wasn't born until 1974 so of course i was a little bit uh naive about such things and, but when I was 11 years old in 1985, we, I went to summer school and we had this teacher named Mrs. Oliveira. Um, Jody and I think Shannon and a number of other people were in our, in her class. She introduced us to this theme. <clears throat> Where you press the button and in uh, that little square, no, you would feel a brown number. I don't know what Plus. that's called. Stretch for backing. Uh huh. Oh, cool. It's I don't know what it was. If it was a braille, no, it could have been a braille and speak. I don't know what it was, but if anybody knows, they could you know remind me what it was. Yeah. Okay, we have but I find that very interesting. The first time I've ever heard of such things, I was probably in my young to mid to mid teens or other than that. So, uh -huh. Of course, I'm interested. And we had deaf blind people there at the uh, Texas School for the Blind, but eventually they were transported a different direction. We did have a secondary, which was across from our school. So it was all interesting. Thank you, Kalandra. Yeah. Okay, next we have Livy and we have 10 minutes. Okay, thank you. Livy? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Okay, doke. Um, the one thing I thought was interesting was about this Metascope, I guess it was. I don't remember. I never heard of it. Uh, <clears throat> and that was interesting about this chapter. Some of this stuff I'd not heard of, yeah. like that, that teletype thing and, and uh, teletouch and such and the, the metascope and um, uh, 
you know, some I knew about the octagon and and all of that stuff, but um, there was just so much. And the one thing that I really noticed, and I can remember barely about the aids and appliances catalogs and stuff that you got from talking books or or you could order them or whatever mm -hmm. and um i never did uh but i know you know it wasn't until like the 80s or the 90s like that uh speak to me and maxi aids and some of that other those other companies came into being where we could order it uh for ourselves you know instead of uh, going through talking book uh aids and appliances and stuff I, I remember was... yeah i remember the mimeographed um afb appliance catalog um before and i remember when they decided to make it um uh, i guess into a catalog and then um uh something else that i don't know if y'all remember that the outlook uh, one thing I, I learned from looking at the timeline, the Outlook for the Blind, the AFB magazine, became the Journal on Blindness, and it's JBIV Journal on Blindness, it's Impairment of Vision or something. I can't remember what JBIV. Um, JBVI, maybe, in Blindness and Visual Impairment. But anyways, um, that's a, a very trusted magazine now. So uh, periodical. Too bad they don't have it on talking books. It'd be interesting to read it. Um, I, visual impairment and blindness. I can't remember. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, you can go on the AFB website. Um, and 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 look it up um what did y'all think of just quickly um i you know i i mentioned that there was some little espionage going on the american foundation of overseas blind during the war mm -hmm. um the materials needed for um the the war uh venture um were basically materials that blind people were using and they uh they smuggled um materials into uh, i believe it was germany but i can't remember they snuggled materials into uh the uh, places like maybe paris or something for the library um to um to make sure that um, blind people were able to have things to read, I think it was the the plate the plates that they were using for uh, printing. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought that was quite interesting. Anybody remember that? I remember reading it. Yeah, but that's I about am. it. I think they. Deanna has her hand up. Go ahead, Deanna. Deanna? 
Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. I s- said I remembered that they were hiding all kinds of things, really things that had to do with the Braille presses. Yeah. Because those were all made out of metal and they would be melted down for war efforts. And um, they really didn't want these valuable pieces of equipment destroyed um, for a war. So they, they were hiding them. They were um, secreting things away and trying to protect them so that once the war was over, they could go back into service and not have to start from scratch. Because a lot of that stuff was kind of hand-built, you know, yes. and it, it wasn't mass-produced stuff, and they really could not replace it once it was destroyed. Um, so, that was pretty interesting, the fact that some people felt it was as important as, say, um, art or jewelry or other items of, of value that they didn't want to fall into the hands of those who were gathering things up for the war effort. Right. And when they did find uh, things, that the blind people were devastated because they did confiscate um, items and materials and, uh, you know, really uh, greatly impacted the lives of the people um, that they took those things from. Yeah, that they've come to depend on. It's yeah. kind of like, you know, if, if we had a current effort and all of the old Perkins Braveliers would be confiscated yeah. because oh they're God. heavy metal. and But they are much uh, better constructed and stronger than anything being produced currently. Um, yes. So, yeah. Um, I held on to my Braille and speak for years until I felt sorry for someone who didn't have an access to a note taker, didn't want to go online with it. Um, she just wanted to keep a calendar, a contact list, and be able to do the, um, personal note taking and writing. And so, um, you know, I finally gave it up because it was such a sturdy, wonderfully small machine. Yeah. And, um, it didn't have a Braille display, and by then I had a Braille light. But, um, you know, when I did get a note taker with a Braille display, I did um, work with someone who was deafblind at a convention. Um, they asked for volunteers because he came to our um, particular affiliate meeting. And mm-hmm. so I happened to have my, my Braille light um with me and I volunteered and so I stood behind him leaning over his shoulders while he read the braille display and I typed <laughs> so it oh, wasn't that's cool it wasn't quite as is you know easy to use as say a teletype but, right yeah but it was at least a way that we could include him in our affiliate um programming um and you know, it's a little bit of an awkward situation to lean over a strange man's shoulders yeah. and type. <laughs> but um, he was very grateful, and, and I was happy to do it, you know, happy to, to make that possible. Thank you. Well, we have run through the hour, and I would like to thank everyone who shared today. And like I said, the next chapters are really interesting. Uh, 23 and 24. And they're on the children and very, very interesting reading. uh, Trish Lepofsky and our host and Larry Gassman, our streamer, I thank you very much. 
And this ends the uh, discussion for January 25th.